Chapter 4 of The Recording Angel by Edwin Arnold Brinholtz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Andrew Bemis. Till We Meet Again. Old Song. The picture presented in that quiet room in the house on the river road in the town of Steelton, at the moment when Charles Arndt looked past the lamp which stood on the table between him and the body of Angus MacDonald, was one he would never have forgotten, but he saw nothing except the face of that dead man. And thus he sat as if paralyzed, without making the slightest sound or motion, minute after minute, which the tall clock in the corner ticked out second by second. He afterwards remembered that he had a knowledge of the ticking of the clock, and that mechanically he had counted as he sat there, gazing across a table as if waiting for Angus to speak. Three hundred, he involuntarily said aloud, and the sound of his own voice as it broke the silence caused him to start to his feet with the exclamation, And Nettie must be told, Great God, it was my hand that struck the blow. Oh, Angus, Angus, why didn't you tell me? At this moment the doorbell rang, and Arndt hastened through the doorway by which Nettie had so recently passed and noiselessly crossed the few feet which lay between it and the front door. This he quickly opened, as it was not locked for the night owing to his presence in the house, and it seemed so natural that it should be Dr. Kennedy who stood there, that he only said, In there, and pointed to the open door through which the lamplight was streaming into the darkness of the hallway. The lamp at the foot of the stairs had gone out, so neither the doctor nor he saw Nettie as she came down the stairs, mechanically buttoning her dress at the throat as she descended. Arndt softly shut and fastened the front door, and followed the physician so closely that the two men entered the room at nearly the same moment, and as the doctor saw the face of the man who sat on the opposite side of the table, with the full light of the lamp upon him, he exclaimed, "'Too late! Too late! When did it happen?' Then Arndt told the story as they busied themselves in getting the body on the lounge and tried restoratives. Neither of the men saw the figure of the silent woman in the hallway, who listened to every word and watched every motion, but who never moved a step after she caught sight of her father's face. Well, said Kennedy at last, I'm awful sorry you told him so suddenly. He might have survived the losing of his position at the works for many years had the news been broken to him softly. It's partly my fault, however. I ought not to have consented to let him keep his condition secret, but he said that you and others relieved him at the shop of all heavy work, and that all he had to do was oversee, and he insisted that idleness would kill him, and that he could do that much as well as any man for many years to come provided the company didn't find out how it was with him. For, said he, they don't want men around who are liable to make anyone lose a minute. And so I consented after cautioning him about excitement, and I likewise told Nettie that her father must be kept as quiet as possible. I was passing the house, and as I had heard a rumor that he would be discharged, I thought, when I saw the light, that I would prepare him as best I could. That is all we can ever do for him. Now we must think of Nettie. As the girl heard her name the first time it was mentioned, 
she staggered, like one who is suddenly awakened while walking in her sleep, and while the doctor was still speaking, she rocked to and fro upon her feet as if she would surely fall, but this the men in the room could not see. Upon his second utterance of her name, she regained control of herself, and as they straightened themselves, they both involuntarily looked towards the doorway and saw her as the first step brought her within the rays of light in the sitting-room lamp. Dr. Kennedy has seen many strange sights and may forget the one which met his eyes, but Charles Arndt never will. Here was no little girl, as Arndt lovingly called as he sprang with his outstretched arms towards her. She motioned him to stop. There stood before them a woman who appeared to have grown at least six inches since Arndt saw her last. Her face was absolutely white, and Arndt, who had a passion for watching and comparing shades of color, found himself gazing at that whiteness, and wondering when a tinge of red would break the terrible resemblance to a mask. Her eyes had a glitter in them which made their blueness black, and her face showed not one sign of the sorrow or mourning which might assuredly have been looked for there. A hatred, intense and deadly, such as none could wish to see if the hatred were for him or one he loved, was stamped on every beautiful feature, and her voice, low and clear, had a note in it which neither man could recognize as hers, as she rejected the doctor's proffered chair and said, Thank you, doctor, for what you have already done. I wish you to remain a few moments before you go to attend to the necessary arrangements for me. Won't you be seated? But neither man made a motion. The doctor was looking at her professionally, expecting a collapse at any moment. Arndt was simply waiting. And so they stood there for a little while, with that dead body in the background, covered only by the shadow of Nettie's form, as she stood and looked at it and then finally moved over towards it. And then the words of Poe. And my soul from out that shadow shall be lifted nevermore. Rang through the brain of her lover suddenly as she saw the blackness spread until it covered the whole side of the room as she paused beside the table and, reaching across, took up her father's pipe, kissed it, and then quickly placing it upon the glowing coals of the fire quietly closed the door of the stove and turned away. Towards her father's body, she made no movement after that, but broke the silence by the remark, I heard every word you said, gentlemen. Well, said Kennedy, I think you are holding someone responsible for his death, and I have only to say that he has been liable for several years to die just this way, and that may be true interrupted the girl, but I heard you say that he might have lived for years if he could have gone on with his work without any sudden shock. There is but one man responsible for this night's work, and he may never suffer for it, but there are others who will suffer, I for one, and, looking straight at Arndt, you for the other, Charlie. She waited an instant, as if for him to speak, but he never even moved his lips. Then the doctor said soothingly, You are excited now, Nettie, and we'll think differently about all this tomorrow. But Arndt motioned him to be quiet, 
He knew the girl and was impatient at the delay. I say again, said Nettie, that there is one man guilty in the sight of God and all just men of deliberate murder, and not in this case only. And his name is Robert Endy, Jr. He is using a terrible system to further his ambition. He and men like him are making the system daily and hourly more and more intolerable. You, turning to Arndt, are a victim, even as I. And the reason the murderous system exists today is that there has not been found one man unselfish enough to give up his own pleasure and happiness and devote his life to the slaying of the monster. Such men don't seem to be born these days. But maybe I can find a man to redress my wrongs, even if he will not resent those done to himself. I tell you now that until the life of Robert Endy is made a failure, absolute and complete, I will never be your wife. So help me God. Then, after an instant's pause, terrible, intense, I call on God's recording angel to register my vow. As she stopped, Arndt stepped forward and cried, Not that, Nettie, not that! But quickly recovering himself, he said, as he straightened as one does when saluting a superior, I accept your conditions, dear, only remember that I am yours and you are mine, though our hands may never meet. Here Kennedy broke in. You are beside yourselves. This is simply nonsense. You two are out of your heads tonight. Oh, said Nettie quietly, perhaps so, but it is with trouble. I suppose the rich think that all who do not like the results of their methods assuredly are crazy. I only hope they also think that we have forgotten our injuries, because for the present we do nothing. And now, doctor, she concluded, will you be so kind as to attend to the other matters for us? Mr. Arndt will stay with me here until you can bring your wife. I am certain that she will come. So those two waited in the presence of that dead man who had been as a father for many years to the man and father, brother, and sister to the girl since the days of early childhood, and of the thoughts that passed through their minds as they stood hand in hand and looked at that peaceful face, none should speak, for they are too tender for words. But as they turned away and seated themselves, they looked into each other's eyes, and they thought other thoughts, of thwarted hopes, and of retribution, and of its methods, and of those thoughts neither should any be told, else might Robert Endy, Jr. hear of them. After the arrival of the doctor and his wife, as they parted at the outer door, Arndt said, I will see you often, dear. And she replied, Why, of course, as long as we are in reach of each other. Then he said, That system has slain my best friend and ruined my life's happiness, and from this day I fight it openly and above board and with whatever weapon comes to my hand, though the end will, for us, I think, be a failure. There was no tremor in her hand clasp. Nettie said, The system may be too strong for us, but I think that we can very certainly get at one man. But Arndt shook his head as he replied, No, I think that we must strike him through the system, 
You nor I can never take a personal revenge in any other way. The man is a result of the system. He was not a cruel boy. I think that he will even be truly sorry for you. But the woman cried out sharply, I want none of his sympathy. Will his sympathy undo his work? Will it restore the dead to life? You, with your quixotic ideas of elevating the masses, may fight a system as you have fought, and you will fail as you have failed. Your working men's unions are just as selfish in their way as are the rich man's methods. It is all for self or a class. Show me a movement that insists upon equality of opportunity and equality of remuneration for all, and you, by means of it, may reach these murderers. Let me tell you, men make systems, and such men as Robert Endy make these iniquitous conditions. A product of evolution, you say, so are rattlesnakes and boa constrictors. We kill the first before he strikes. Why shall we not at least make an effort to kill the latter when it is already folded about us and we feel the monster crushing the life out of us? Then Arndt said soothingly, Hush, child, hush. There are too many people who are thinking that way already. But the woman broke in again. I wish in heaven's name that there were millions more, hundreds of millions more of them. Then we might succeed. But failure or no failure, I'm in the fight till death. And I, said Arndt, goodbye, my love, until we meet again. End of chapter 4